0: Our New Testament reading this morning comes from the book of Galatians, chapter 2, verses 15 through 21. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Apologize, I just realized that I am missing half of this scripture passage this morning. (laughs) I thought, what a strange place for that to leave off. If I rebuild what I destroyed... this is the word of the God for the people of God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Moving to Pittsburgh from Kansas when I was a teenager was weird. I just realized there's someone here today who was actually there when I moved from Kansas to Pittsburgh as a teenager. Um, If you really need the gory details, you can see her after church. Um, Not only did I get stupid jokes about the Wizard of Oz all the time, the perceptions that people from Western PA had of people from Kansas were really wacky. They are rarely rooted in much reality, and when they are, they're usually confused with another state altogether generally Oklahoma or Nebraska. I had people ask me really strange things like, why don't you have a southern accent? To which my answer was, because I'm not from the south. Um, I always made it a point to exaggerate my drawl when I said that. Everyone assumed I'd grown up in a farm and was totally shocked when I told them we had a shopping mall and a community college and everything in the little city that I grew up in. Traffic lights, more than one, even. That was not the worst part, though. The worst part was the culture shock. Yes, people in Kansas are technically from the same country as people in Pennsylvania, And yes, English is the predominant language there, just like it is here. But the Midwest, and I mean the real Midwest, not Ohio, is like a totally different universe. Now, it's not so different as it is to go from here to Latin America or the Middle East or Asia. But in a way, it's a little more disorienting because everyone here talks and acts, for the most part, the same. But there are subtle differences that are just enough to make you feel like you're slightly out of phase with the dimension that everyone else is traveling in. For example, one night, my mom, who quickly after our move slipped back into her Western PA accent and reassimilated to the culture here, asked me to put some jumbo on the dog food as a treat for the dogs. And I just stared at her. (laughs) What? Jumbo! Put some jumbo on their food for them. And I just stared at her some more. And I asked her, What on earth do you mean? And she looked at me like I was completely stupid. Take the jumbo out of the fridge. Okay, Mom, you're going to have to tell me what jumbo is because I have no idea what you're talking about. And then she just stared at me, and I could almost see the light bulb appear over her head. See, apparently, uh, where she grew up in Beaver County and where we were living at the time, and I've asked a few people, and uh, it seems to be a a thing here, too. um, When people are talking about jumbo, they mean baloney, For months, when people talked about jumbo sandwiches, I had just assumed that folks around here just like really big sandwiches. (laughs) And all the while, they were talking about bologna. Now, there's nothing wrong with calling bologna jumbo. It's got historical roots in Western PA. There once was a brand, and I'm sorry if you guys already know this, but this was an enlightening moment for me, uh, there once was a brand that called their bologna jumbo bologna, and it stuck. So for generations, people from the same area of the world have been, much to the confusion of outsiders, calling all baloney really, really big. And you have to have some kind of in to find out what in the heck they're talking about. So that's sort of what was happening between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians in Galatia, sort of. I'm pretty sure the baloney wasn't around back then, and they weren't struggling with literal language barriers, but there were two different religious languages happening in the church in Galatia. The Jewish Christians came from a cultural upbringing in which circumcision, food law, and certain special meals and celebrations and other rules and customs from the Torah, that first five books of the Hebrew portion of the Bible, those were how they had learned to grow closer to God. They were part of how they worshipped and communicated with God and one another as a religious community. The Gentile Christians, the ones who hadn't been raised Jewish, had a completely different background, and they didn't get any of that stuff. It didn't even compute for them why on earth these things made the Jewish Christians feel closer to God. So out of this misunderstanding, this culture shock of the two groups coming together, stemmed an argument. The Jewish people insisted that the Gentiles couldn't really be Christian Unless they followed the Jewish religious traditions, and the Gentiles insisted that they were able to have a perfectly good relationship with God without circumcision and food law, so those things didn't matter at all. And they were both wrong. They were both wrong because they were both insisting that there was some sort of religious practice that would save them. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. That's Jesus' job. They didn't need to rely on any set of religious practices or any lack of religious practices to save them and make them real Christians. They were already saved. I love a traditional liturgy. This is Long been a debate in our household, even as recently as last night at dinner. Um, (laughs) I love a traditional liturgy. I like saying words that other saints have said for centuries and will continue to say for centuries more. There is a connection to the great cloud of witnesses of all of the ages. I love singing hymns that I grew up with in my little Midwestern Presbyterian church But none of those things will save us. The the Methodists up the street in Portview who have a praise band and a different sort of liturgy in their service are just as saved by Jesus as we are. The Roman Catholics meeting just across the street. I'm pointing the wrong direction, but trust me, they're just across the street. (laughs) They are just as saved by Jesus as we are. My home church, where the kids dance in the back of the room during worship and the homeless men frequently get up to impromptu rap as part of the service, they are just as saved by Jesus as we are. When we poo-poo or ignore different ways of worshiping God, of communicating with our Redeemer, we are excluding an awful lot of people who are just as saved as we are. God's love is way bigger than any church's way of doing things. Now, structure is good. Those who know me well know that I like structure. Structure is what makes things reliable. But it can also be a barrier. When everyone knows the structure and the way things are, except for the new person, when you're talking about jumbo and baloney and they're the same thing, Rigid tradition without explanation or understanding creates barriers that make it nearly impossible for different groups of practicing Christians to get together peacefully, let alone people who are coming in from the outside of the Christian tradition or coming back after a hiatus to see what this is all about. Now, this world is changing rapidly, and I'm not going to argue that that's not terrifying. I'm not even 40 yet, getting close, but not quite, and I feel whipped around by the changing world sometimes. So it's nice to have something stable and reliable to cling to. It's a good thing to be able to come to church and know that there are certain things that are going to happen. We are going to sing some hymns. We are going to pray a prayer of confession. We will receive word of pardon, hear a sermon, sometimes even a good one. We'll pray for one another, and that's great. But we cannot make those things gospel in and of themselves, and we can't make them just rote functions, because that's what we do. Paul says that when we cling too tightly to tradition as if it's going to save us, it's as if we're saying Jesus died for no purpose. Sometimes we do or say things in church— that some of the folks gathered here love and some are uncomfortable with or unmoved by. And seeing as we're not a bunch of clones and it's not the things we do or say in church that save us, that's totally fine. It's okay to be uncomfortable every once in a while. That's the way it should be. If one person is always comfortable during church, that means there are a bunch of people who are not always comfortable during church. And even more, Who have been driven away because they feel like they have no voice please don't panic I feel like sometimes I need a t-shirt that says please don't panic for me to wear when I preach a sermon like this one but please don't panic friends When you arrive here next Sunday, you will not find the pews gone, a jumbotron up front, and a praise band ready to lead you in whatever song is popular on K-Love right now. That works for some churches, but it would be a total misfit here. You know, I was thinking all week, I have no idea how this passage about vineyards, this very strange and gory passage that Tim read before I read the piece from Galatians, fits in. But, uh, you know, um, Ahab was jealous of someone else's vineyard that seemed to be producing better grapes, better wine. And so he did everything he could to get to that vineyard. And it was the final nail in his coffin. Stay in your own vineyard. (laughs) The Holy Spirit can move in subtle ways. The Holy Spirit can move in structured ways. The Holy Spirit has been moving through formal liturgy and informal liturgy alike for centuries, and I don't know why that would suddenly change now. But friends, God gave us imaginations so that we can actively participate in the worship of all the saints of all the ages in old ways and new ways and traditional ways and weird ways, so that old people and people in the middle and young people can yell yay at the end of a hymn, so that everyone's imagination can be swept away in worship together. The conference that Alyssa and I were at this week at the seminary was amazing. One of the key speakers, Rachel Held Evans, and if you haven't heard or read any of her books, you should go check her out today because she's hilarious and wonderful. She said something great when she was asked by um, one of the conference goers about how to get millennials. That's that generation of people born between 1982 and 2004. Roughly, it depends on what sociologist you ask. Um, What can the church do to get them to come back to church? And her advice was to stop trying to be cool. Not only does trying to be cool and relevant seem fake, and therefore, not work at all. Her comment was young folks have a finely tuned BS meter. It is untrue to the church's identity as being something weird and different and wonderful in the world. And it's unfaithful to the unique identity of any congregation that's trying to be too, too hard to be cool. Her exact words were it's not about making the church cool. It's about keeping the church weird. Our job is not to make the gospel relevant or to make worship appealing. The gospel is relevant on its own terms without our help. When we lose sight of the real meaning of why we do what we do, when we make our salvation or the salvation of our attendance numbers dependent on our worship, how we do it, when we do it, where we do it, who is welcomed in, or any other logistical element of it, it's as if Jesus died in vain and we are no longer preaching the gospel. My dear friends, you are forgiven. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you've done, you are forgiven. You are saved, and you are just as forgiven and just as saved right now as you were when you walked in these doors this morning. There is nothing in your sitting here this morning or in any of the magic words that we have recited today that has made you saved-er or forgiven-er than you were before. I want everyone, just to take a moment, turn to a person next to you. This is one of those things that might make some people uncomfortable, but that's okay. We'll sing a comfortable hymn after this. I want you to turn to a person near you and say, you are forgiven. You are forgiven. I can't see Phil in the corner. You are forgiven, Phil. I can't see you in the corner. (laughs) I don't want to lose him back behind the music stand over there. My friends, that's why we are here. Not to become forgiven, but to be reminded of that forgiveness that we have already been granted and to remind others of it and to celebrate it. That's weird. That's not something you hear outside of these doors anywhere. As the makeup of congregations shift and change over the years with neighborhoods, As families grow and change and more or less people think church is relevant or worth uh, getting up early for, as people sleep in or don't based on the time of the year, the things we do here on Sunday morning shift and change as well, and that's all right. Shocking revelation here, I wasn't here in Liberty in 1902 when this church was founded. My, My kids would go, you weren't? But I'll bet their worship services in 1902 were very different than what's happening this morning. For starters, they would probably have been shocked to pieces to see a woman standing up here in the pulpit wearing a clerical collar. I'm pretty sure they didn't have an organ yet. Many Presbyterian churches back then sang only psalms, no hymns. Hymns were considered to be heretical. You could only sing scripture. The language they used would have been very different. They would have been saying baloney, where we say jumbo, or vice versa. And I'll bet another 50 to 100 years from now, things will look equally different here in this sanctuary. I do believe that this church will still be here in 50 or 100 years. You guys have what matters. A strong historical identity a deep connection to the community, and an investment in liberty, a love for Jesus, and a gratitude for God's gifts of grace and salvation. You have young people like the ones who we honored earlier today. This church is far from dying. Oh, it's changing, for sure. And that's a beautiful thing to be embraced. It's something that we can embrace without fear when we remember that this church doesn't save us. This worship doesn't forgive us. Our salvation doesn't depend on how many people gather on Sunday morning. We're already forgiven. Praise the Lord.